0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is presented by Dirt Candy and Shoebox.
2: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org.
3: What's the biggest food tech story of 2017? Some would say it's the Amazon purchase of Whole Foods. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 65 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. I love to say that at the top of every show. Somebody somewhere in Europe and South America and Africa are listening to the show right now. And this show is Tech Bytes, the weekly program where we talk about The intersection of food and technology and today it's a pretty big crossroads we're talking about the amazon purchase of whole foods which was news that broke earlier this year in june amazon the biggest e-commerce giant in the world purchased whole foods for about 13.7 billion with a b dollars So a few months later, it still dominates the headlines, and I don't think we are quite sure what the impact of that is, although certainly we're starting to see things happen, like the price of avocados going down, um, like stock prices in other grocery retailers going up and down, and lots of speculation and a little panic and a lot of what's going to happen in the world. So today we decided to do a roundtable show around the topic of Amazon and Whole Foods, and have a couple different voices from around the spectrum. So what we'll do is we'll take, a, we'll take a first introduction to everyone. And while we go around the shipping container, we will ask, like we always ask at the beginning of every show, what's your favorite app right now? Something that's been living on your home screen for the last 10 years, or maybe something new you just discovered? So first up, looking a little quixotic, although you can't see that on radio, is Ben Conniff, who's co-founder of Luke's Lobster, which is a really great uh, mini chainlet restaurant group. They have 25 outposts around the country. They are New England-style seafood, famous for their lobster rolls, and they are also a vendor to Whole Foods. Ben, thank you for joining us.
4: Thank you for having me.
3: Do you have an app that you love right now?
4: Um, that's a really good question. I... Uh, I got to say that the most time I spend on apps on my phone is on all of our uh, all of our various friends in the industry's online ordering apps because we're we're working on our own now. So I'm spending all my time looking at dig in and, and pizza and Sweet Green and the other guys. Uh, so you're looking
3: apps. at specific restaurant ordering apps, not the general restaurant delivery delivery service apps. So not Caviar Seamless, Grubhub.
4: That's right, but yeah. But you're
3: looking at the specific mm-hmm. to the restaurant proprietary. Yep. Domino's Pizza is heralded as being one of the most amazing delivery apps it's ever. It's
5: great. I used it at ACL this weekend twice. was amazing. Go right through it. Gives you, like, the wait time. Perfect.
3: It's supposed to be good.
4: I think those guys know what they're doing, that's for sure. <laughs> they sell a lot
5: of pizza.
3: And that voice jumping in is Brad Harrison, who's one of the co-founders of Greensbury, which is an online market for organic grass-fed beef and other seafoods. He is co-founder and chairman of the board. Thank you for coming out today, Brad.
5: Thanks for having me. What's your favorite app right now? I spend a lot of time looking at Coinbase because I'm totally interested in the crypto market um, and how insane it is. So I look at Coinbase every day to see uh, how crazy the market is. And Bitcoin will go from, you know, it's up like $1,000 in a day. So I just find it fascinating. And it's just make-believe money to me.
3: Are you trading any?
5: Uh, We've been working on a couple of companies to uh, enable trading in this space. And uh, one of the guys in my office is trading it.
3: What's your favorite app for it?
5: Uh, for trading, well, our wallet is Coinbase, and then we built something proprietary for the trading.
3: Okay, maybe more on that later to come when that goes live. Joining us on the phone is Craig yamona from Bloomberg News. He's a consumer reporter, and he's been following and reporting on the Amazon Whole Foods purchase for quite some time. Craig, are you with us?
6: I am, yeah, thanks a lot.
3: Thanks for calling in. What's happening on the news desk over there today? Is it a busy morning?
6: Uh, it has been a little bit, actually. Uh, Domino's reported earnings uh, earlier this morning, so we've been watching that. And, you know, obviously, um, you know, Kroger's been in the news and everything having to do with this, this Amazon Whole Foods deal kind of has people interested these days.
3: So that's a, that's a probably a win-win for you guys.
6: It is. It is. It's good to be busy.
3: Do you have a favorite app that you like right now?
6: You know, I've, I've been big on, I'm a, I'm a bike commuter, so the Weather Channel app is kind of uh, essential for me these days. It gives you that hourly forecast as the weather starts to change a little bit. I'm always kind of watching when it's going to start to rain to see if I can make it home in one piece.
3: Do you find the Weather Channel app is the best one? We've had a lot of interest in weather apps over the years on this show, and Dark Sky I was gonna say is Dark the one Sky. that people really love. Even though you have to pay, I think it's like $4.99, it's supposed to be hyper-accurate to your... Extremely precise geolocation.
6: Yeah, I know, and I have heard of, I have heard great things about that one. I do I, I do find the Weather Channel one pretty good. Like I said, I like that hourly kind of that hourly breakdown, and it's
3: generally pretty accurate. I almost never believe the forecasts. I only believe the map. <laughs> That's
6: right. That's right.
3: <laughs> so, Craig, you've been covering this story for quite a while. Um, I mean, is, is it simply just the size of Amazon and the size of Whole Foods that make it so interesting, or what are the what are the specific storylines you think that are making people so focused on this this piece of business?
6: Yeah, it, it's a good question. I mean, I think honestly, definitely the size of Amazon. I mean, the size of Whole Foods. It's funny because Amazon plus Whole Foods really is still pretty tiny in the scheme of things in grocery. I mean, something like two percent of the of the industry. But I think it's more just Amazon's ability to take losses if they want to and what that means for grocery competitors you know we they haven't really said much publicly about what they're going to do but you know i've had people tell me that if they wanted to go to sort of neutral margins meaning they weren't going to make any money they could drop the prices at whole foods by by 20% and you know we've seen when they've gone after other industries that they're willing sometimes just to take losses in order to gobble up that market share so i think that's why people are so spooked when it comes to companies like Kroger or Albertsons or these other competitors, you know, even Walmart to a certain extent because it just means, you know, if Amazon is going to go that hard and and do that type of thing, I mean, it just means a crushing price war for for years to come. So I think that's why people are so kind of concerned about the competitors in that space.
3: From the consumer perspective, though, we assume that if we pay less money for the same product then that's a good deal for us and it's a it's a savings in our in our, you know, individual household budget. But the ripple effect to a price war and driving the prices down, what's the larger Mm -hmm. consumer public effect? Is that always a good thing? Even though, I mean, it seems like it would be on paper. But is there the counterintuitive side where it actually then becomes a negative?
6: I think the thing you right. I I mean, I think in the short term, people are going to like lower prices. I mean, they sent you know when the deal got announced, they sent me out to stores in New York that weekend to talk to people and see you know are they concerned that Bezos is going to ruin this thing that they that they love? And I didn't get a lot of that to be honest. I got people saying, "Wow, does this mean I can get it delivered now?" Or you know, I'm a Prime member. Like, is that going to be good for me? So I think in the short term, you know, people are going to like lower prices. I mean, I think the concern would be we saw what happened with books, and I mean, I don't think anyone is saying that. Um, grocery stores are going to go away, but you do wonder in 10 years does Amazon sort of gobble up the market share and you see sort of maybe some local and regional stores go out of business? And then is the playbook then to kind of bring, bring the prices back up? And now, you know, the, the local grocery store that I loved is gone and that's the only game in town. I have to drive 10 miles to a Walmart or, or get it delivered through Amazon. So, I mean, I think that that's much farther out, but I guess that would be kind of the longer term question.
3: One of the interesting things that surfaced immediately was the Alice Waters open letter to Jeff Bezos about the power of Amazon being so strong and you know the purchase of Whole Foods, putting Amazon into the position to really make an impactful change by the decisions they make, not just on pricing, but in terms of deciding to you know, embrace a different type of product or deciding to pay farmers a certain wage or all of those um, big food movement storylines that people have been talking about. Here's a real opportunity for somebody who has a lot of power in commerce to put something like that forward. Do people talk about that as a possibility? Is that an outlier idea? Is that just um, something that, you know, the the food intelligentsia wishes would happen?
5: I mean, I I would say that actually uh the issue is is more around their power around logistics and that what they do to the food industry is they give scale around the number one driver into the cost to the end consumer which is really getting it from the farm through the processor into the consumer's hands and what amazon has done better than any other company in history is optimize a logistical network. And they do that with warehouses, and they do that by, in New York City, they actually rent trucks, and they'll park a truck on a corner, and they'll hire individual delivery people. Their ability to do that has given them this more market share. And so I think they acquired Whole Foods because they wanted more of that Amazon Prime market share because they've already got, you know, they can add more people to that consumer base and leverage their existing distribution network.
3: But when they make the decisions about what they're going to do with the products and the pricing and things like that, similar to when Walmart decided that they wanted to see organic Cheerios on the shelf and organic products on their shelves, that creates a sort of seismic shift in opportunity for those types of products just because of the sheer scale. So, uh, Ben, your company uh, supplies Whole Foods because your famous lobster rolls are made with knuckle and claw meat, which leaves a lot of tails. So they're the happy recipients of that. From your point of view, being a small artisanal vendor with a a top fresh product, what was your first thoughts when you read about the news and what was your first visceral sort of reaction to what that was going to do to your business? Yeah,
4: you know... Our, our experience working with Whole Foods to date has been an extremely encouraging one. You know, I think um, as a consumer on the outside, I feel like a lot of people have skepticism about whether Whole Foods really backs up their... What people see is very high prices with the actual rigor uh, of m- ensuring that the products they're selling are the most sustainable, uh, the healthiest, the are, best. Are
3: the store standards actually as advertised or is that a lot of marketing
4: they are as advertised it is uh it's been very impressive to see the effort that whole foods people have put into coming up to our facility and not just our facility but getting on the boats with individual lobstermen and getting out there all up and down the coast of maine making sure that people understand and follow every aspect of their standard and so that was very impressive and then on top of that to see that Whole Foods unlike many many other players is willing to pay um, what that product is worth and not say one lobster tail is the same as any other lobster tail no matter how it's harvested how it's transported how it's processed um, they actually distinguish quality and sustainability and traceability and then you know they, they pay what that product is worth. They pay a premium for, for people to do it right.
3: And has that has there been any changes thus far to your process and protocol and procedure?
4: Thus far, we haven't had any conversations that would suggest a change in, in any of those respects.
3: Craig, is there any conversation or thoughts about how they would arrive at driving down the prices? Would they just take a hit or do we think that Whole Foods is going to start to change who their distributors are and suppliers, that they're going to start to change their uh, their point of view in terms of what they will and will not sell now?
6: You know, everyone that I talk to that knows the grocery industry says that that would be an incredibly complicated thing to do. And the other thing is that, you know, Whole Foods had some problems. I mean, that that's why it was in a position to get bought, but still a really, really strong brand that resonates kind of for all the reasons that these guys are talking about. So it's not clear that they really want to change that as far as bringing down the cost. I mean, I think that it is supply chain and logistics and, you know, doing some of the sort of retail 101 things that maybe John Mackey had ignored over the years because the sales were so good. I mean, they had, they had kind of gotten into trouble because they weren't really running it like a a professional grocery store with category management and and things like that. So, I think there's some kind of back-end stuff that they can do that will help them bring the prices down. And, you know, the other thing is to really push the private label stuff. The 365 brand was something that a lot of analysts think that Whole Foods hadn't done enough with prior to the deal, and you've seen that already with that stuff going up on Amazon right away and selling out. So, I think, you know, that stuff is very high margin when the private label products. So, you could see them, I think, using that maybe as the vehicle to push some of the deals, while still going high end on things like seafood and beef because there's still a market for that stuff. And like I said, despite its struggles, I mean, it's a, it's a strong brand. So it, the people that I talk to think that, you know, Amazon would be crazy and misguided to kind of do things that would tarnish that.
3: So speaking to, you know, organic, you know, products and, and high end brands, Greensbury, you know, has been around since 2007 and their specialty is organic grass fed beef and other proteins and seafoods. Interestingly, you know, when I first you know had the, the company come across my desk to, to have them on the show as a guest, my initial reaction was, "Wow, I wonder if this is the kind of company that's going to go by the wayside as soon as the Whole Foods line gets integrated onto Amazon. And that was sort of the the obvious reaction um, that I had. but it's counterintuitive to think, but our initial guest was Ted Hopper, the CEO of the company, and he's not here today because they're actually, pitching for investment right now because for greensbury this is actually a great moment of opportunity um the whole foods amazon merger so it seems counterintuitive brad but tell us tell us why that is
5: yeah well and and just to level say you know i've lived across the street from three whole foods over the last 15 years so i am a die-hard whole foods customer and when we first found out what organic grass-fed beef was nobody was selling it and one of the things that really started to freak me out as i was having my first kid and i was trying to get healthy was that there were no clear standards nobody knew so a lot of people would be buying organic beef but that organic beef was actually getting fed organic corn which is not good for the the cattle and not good for the end product and what I realized is when I went into Whole Foods and I looked at the meat counter, I couldn't understand what what the different products were. And then the other thing was I saw that the products were just kind of like sitting there and, you know, how many times were people touching it and going back and forth? And so I went on a quest to figure out how to optimize the chain to find good American farmers and fishermen and properly package their products and get it to the end customer and it's been as you said almost a 10-year journey because when we started in 2007 nobody was buying food online and now it's the fastest growing category on the internet 30 percent year over year so you know greensbury is now profitable on a per-order basis because we've optimized the value chain that started all the way with our beef where we started to vertically integrate with our beef supplier and now is moved into our chicken and our seafood and our pork. And what we think is, you know, Amazon, which is we've been selling on Amazon for a long time. Amazon's still going to be a distribution point for Greensbury. What we hope to be is to be that unified brand where, you know, if you pick any of the proteins and it's got the Greensbury sticker on it, you know, a couple of things. Number one. 100% satisfaction guaranteed. We talked about it. If you bought a steak at Whole Foods and it wasn't very good and you went back in, they would sell you another steak. At Greensbury, we would send you another steak. And that's built this very loyal consumer base over the years. And so now what we want is we want to be the one that holds that standard. We want to educate the consumer so they know that... You know, you can buy organic chicken, and you can buy antibiotic-free chicken, and they're both kind of okay for you. One's more premium. And, you know, we don't think that Amazon or Whole Foods educates that way. We don't think that's their plan. And we also think, most importantly, they missed the final processor. So today, they don't have the part of the value chain that does what we do, which is actually take... The animal from the slaughterhouse and cut it into into individual steaks, vacuum seal it, flash freeze it, and ship it. That is, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of infrastructure in processing plants with USDA inspectors. And they just, I don't think that's on their horizon. I think what we're going to see is we're going to see them lose money on certain categories of products in beef and dairy Um, because that's what Kroger's doing, and that's what other brands are doing, and that's to just suck the customer in. But all of that, I would say, is lower quality than what we sell.
3: So we are about at the halfway point, and we are going to take a break and find out who the sponsor of the show is. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and that means we keep the lights on and make radio entirely with the support of our members and our sponsors. Stay with us.
1: This episode is presented by Dirt Candy, the award-winning vegetable restaurant on New York City's Lower East Side. Dirt Candy was the first vegetable-focused restaurant in the city and the leader of the vegetable-forward movement. Its new location opened in January 2015, and it was the first restaurant in the city to eliminate tipping and share profits with its employees. Dirt Candy. Anyone can cook a hamburger, leave the vegetables to the professionals. Learn more at DirtCandyNYC.com. This episode is also presented by Shoebox. In French, Shoe, that's spelled C-H-O-U-X, means cabbage, something we could all use more of. Shoebox is the restaurant industry's first web-based point-of-purchase service that helps everyone organize their paperwork, understand their purchases, and save time every step of the way. 86 Your Invoice Insanity with Shoebox. Learn more at C-H-O-U-X-B-O-X dot
3: If you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bytes, the weekly show where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. We talk to innovators, influencers, founders, startups. Do you have a story you would like to hear about? Are you a founder of the next most amazing restaurant software platform? Get in touch with us. We want to hear from you. We are a very interactive show. You can find us in social media at Tech Bytes HRN on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook Or send us an email, techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. And, you know, maybe we can put your idea into the show rotation. Today, our intersection of food and tech is the giant Amazon purchase of Whole Foods. And we have a full panel today talking about the purchase and what it means to our food lives. From a bunch of different points of view, we have Ben Conniff, who's the co-founder of Luke's Lobster. If you're craving a lobster roll, I suggest you go to lukeslobster.com, find one of the 25 locations around the country. You can also find them on Instagram and Twitter, at Luke's Lobster. We also have Craig Gimorna, who is consumer reporter from Bloomberg News, bloomberg.com. I mean, that's all you kind of really need to know. <laughs> And we also have Brad Harrison, who is co-founder and chairman of the board of greensbury.com. It's an online market for organic grass-fed beef and high-quality protein, seafood, and shellfish. So it sounds like in this conversation, just generally, the real uh, point of differentiation for what Whole Foods is going to be able to migrate onto Amazon and vice versa is sort of a perishable, non-perishable conversation. Um, It's probably really easy to warehouse pasta and, you know, coconut oil and and pack those up and ship them the same way we get our, you know. I I buy a lot of um, vitamins, electronics, and, uh, (laughs) like, beauty products on Amazon. But it's a little bit different when it comes to, like, fresh or flash-frozen lobster. Um, Ben, you guys just do a wholesale business. You don't do a, a consumer size business, yes?
4: That's right. Yeah, I mean, and we have in the past. We've had, um, you know, online e-commerce uh, websites on on the Loose Lobster website. And, um, you know, we found that the fulfillment was very difficult and that the shipping is very difficult and that, you know, when it leaves your control, you know, you can be left with a lot of customer service issues on the end that, you know, you really didn't have any power to to control. So... Um, that's not to say we would never consider doing it again, but for the time being, we're not because it's a challenging business.
5: Well, we could do it with you, (laughs) right? Because we have all the infrastructure to process it and handle it. So we'll talk after the show.
3: (laughs) Craig, do you think that this opens up opportunity for packers and shippers that it's a completely new logistics that Amazon has to get into? Are we going to see them buying like a dry ice company next and refrigerated trucks?
6: You know, I I wouldn't be surprised by that kind of thing at all. And I mean, the the other angle is that as, you you know, the the percentage of food bought online is still incredibly small. I, I mean, I think the feeling is now that... For a long time, grocery was kind of um, insulated from what e-commerce has done to other sectors because there was still a feeling that people wanted to touch the avocado or talk to the butcher about their steak. And we are now seeing people start to buy more and more food online. I mean, I think Walmart's been a big part of that. And what's interesting about Walmart on it is that that's a very mainstream consumer that's starting to kind of adapt that behavior. So I think as Amazon pushes in, you're going to see response from other grocers doing more and more of this stuff kind of on their own and realizing that the customer is going to demand that convenience. So I I don't think there's any question that kind of ancillary businesses are going to be more and more appealing. And, you know, Amazon, I think, likes to own as much of that supply chain as they can. So, yeah, I I do think that's a possibility.
3: Just out of curiosity, I, I, I often hear in different conferences and things like that when people talk about the dominance of Amazon, they talk about how Amazon is outside of many of the different tax structures in terms of you know paying different taxes and things like that. How does how does food tax and the bottle taxes and all that kind of business come into play with Amazon and the pricing across the country?
6: Yeah, that has been an issue that's been controversial. I mean, I think it has to do with kind of where they book the revenue and you know different state sales taxes. So I mean, I don't I'm not sure. I don't think there's a specific food angle on that it's it's going to be more kind of how they you know deal with the government authorities because i mean obviously it's a it's a massive business and food is still pretty small for them but obviously growing fast but um that has been it is something to watch i mean as far as i mean i think the tech guys in general are more in the crosshairs now i mean it's over in the eu there's been a lot of noise kind of about google and facebook and so i wouldn't be shocked to see kind of regulators try to get more serious about Amazon. I mean, obviously they're on the top of everybody's mind now as they've kind of become this, this grocery player. So, I mean, it could open them up to more scrutiny on that set of issues.
3: So Brad, why specifically is this a great moment for your company to go out and fundraise? Well, what's the moment of opportunity here for you? You know, it's
5: interesting because there's a whole group of people that were talking to us that stopped talking to us as soon as the Amazon news came out. And if, you know, we think about it, the hardest part of what we do is the, the final package to the customer. But that takes a team effort from raising and buying the right cattle to every part of the processing and the way, the, the way we butcher it, the way we trim it, the way we do all of these things. And again, just because they bought Whole Foods, Whole Foods cuts everything by hand, right? And they have no roll-top machines and they, not, they don't vacuum seal it. You get your stuff in a brown bag. They can't just take that and start shipping it, right? That doesn't work. And so there's been a lot of what we've done in terms of understanding how to get the product there, how to make sure the consumer's happy, you know making sure it lasts a certain amount of time both in the freezer and then once it thaws out and you know some of that is proprietary and we like it some of that is just experience and i think you know there's all of these third party fulfillment companies around the country and they're regionally located east coast nebraska missouri west coast and west coast has kind of Reno, LA and some other areas. And so, you know, we've earlier in our careers worked with third-party fulfillment and the quality was not very good at all because it's not their product, it's somebody else's product. Um and just one last thing to add, you know, Amazon is showing up in the market trying to cut out different pieces of the value chain because we've been dealing with them for years and so they've wanted to cut out a middleman or a final processor and see if they can just buy things and um, they're going to continue to do that but i don't think there's that much in the meat business for them to buy unless they really go in and buy a meat company
3: like chipotle
5: well, Chipotle did and that. And bought a meat company, right, and yeah. Blue Apron did that. I mean, mm-hmm. Chipotle for a couple of years was buying more sustainably raised pork than anybody else. There was a pork shortage. Um, so, you know, it actually turned out there's these amazing pigs that are grown in Poland, but they're super expensive. But you know, if you go and you look at the lineage of the animal and where they're raised and all of that, that just takes a really long time. And now that more people care about what they're eating, the supply needs to catch up to it. Because, you know, uh, 10 years ago, there was nobody selling grass-fed beef.
3: Maybe one or two really small people. Locally. Right,
5: exactly. <laughs> exactly.
3: <laughs> so, Craig, what do you see going forward for the end of the year for the fourth quarter and then going into 2018? Is it possible to make any predictions or see any, any storyline starting to come into view?
6: I mean, the thing we're watching most closely, honestly, is what they do with the prices. Um, you know, they they announced a set of price cuts on things like organic avocados and eggs and milk and certain types of beef and salmon. I mean, it was a sort of about 15 or 20 items, and obviously it got a lot of attention, but it, it was sort of just a great marketing coup by Amazon. And, we, you know, we haven't seen, we've been in the stores a lot, and we haven't really seen widespread Price reduction. So, I mean, I think we're just going to kind of watch to see as the changes start to show up. I mean, the Amazon lockers are in the stores now, but clearly, it feels like they're they're taking their time and, and being deliberate about this. I mean, there were some big changes underway at Whole Foods even before the deal. They were moving to centralized purchasing in Austin, and you know, installing some pretty high end category management stuff. So. There's a feeling that kind of Amazon is working, working through some of that stuff, but you know, as we head into the end of the year, into 2018, I'm sure you're going to start to see them make some, uh, make some changes, and it's obviously going to be very interesting once we get a better sense of what their specific strategy is there.
3: Do we still see the rollout happening of the Whole Foods, the, the lower-priced store brand for millennials? Did that go by the wayside during the purchase? I believe it was focused around the 365 brand.
6: Yeah, that's right. The Whole Foods 365, which was kind of Mackey's attempt to get away from the whole paycheck nickname, you know, a set of stores that were going to focus on the private label stuff and be cheaper and bring some customers back in. You know, That's, that's a great question. Amazon hasn't said. I mean, I think there's something like 25 leases signed for those. I think four or five of them are open. There's one coming to Brooklyn, I believe, next year, um, down by Fort Greene there. So, it, we, they haven 't said i mean it 's you know a lot of people sort of tell me, well, why would Amazon need to do that now they 're going to bring down the prices anyway, but you know, I, I think a big part of their strategy so far, at least from what we can ascertain, is to focus on the private label stuff. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. I mean, I've had people tell me that there'd be no reason to go away from those leases. The locations are good. Maybe they have different thoughts about the stores. Maybe they'll change the name, but hard to imagine them kind of pulling out of those leases. But that is one of the sort of the, the questions near the top of the list to watch for is what they do with a project that uh, they basically inherited.
3: It was also supposed to be geared... For millennials, also, yeah, that's clearly. right. I mean, I so basically uh, right. A, I mean, yeah.
6: they said I think it was just sort of the value conscious. Yes, a younger customer who maybe feels like they're priced out of the flagship Whole Foods. That was, like I said, Mackey's attempt to push back a bit on the idea that they're. Overpriced, um, and, and yes, they did say it was geared towards millennials. They have restaurants in some of them, which they also have with their flagships. But there's been no indication so far from, uh, from Amazon what they plan to do with that, and that, that definitely bears watching.
3: Well, I'm sure this is a story that we'll be watching for years to come. Uh, ben, what do you think is happening going forward? Do you have a guess? Or are you just in a holding pattern until otherwise? Getting ready for Do you do a big fall... Holiday Q4.
4: We um we definitely do in some of our locations. It's been it's been a fun fall for us because we traditionally slow down uh, as the um, as we move into fall, and we haven't seen that this year. So that's been great for us. And and you know I think that's a testament to more people being more educated about lobster and and sustainability and quality. And and really that's what I hope comes out of this deal is that. Just, just more exposure and and more education, not to the level of detail that, that that Greensbury is able to do, but just general awareness of what sustainability is as a concept and why we need to be more aware of the choices we make with food. Because we're not gonna we're not gonna see everybody move to the highest level of Caring about sustainability, caring about food quality, and caring about food health overnight. So just having more big players in the conversation and more exposure initially is going to be a positive.
3: Well, and also if the big players decide to cut the bottom tier, you know, maybe everyone will not move to the best quality product. But maybe as people become more and more educated, they will diminish what the lowest rung is. Maybe we can move the bottom up to a better quality, um, Brad. What do you what What do you see looking into the future? I mean, this is a great moment for you guys. Yeah. So,
5: so I guess on the on just on the Amazon Whole Foods front, I think you're going to see, you know, integration of a bunch of their logistic stuff around dry goods, and you're going to see super efficiency in being able to get things that you used to get in the market. You're going to order in the morning and get it the next morning, right? So you're going to see great efficiency. So for people that don't have um, close access to whole foods like we do where I live, super great, and that will help them.
3: And, you know, and we think that in New York City we, we have access to everything, and it's amazing, and most of us do, but we forget that. Even as great as New York City is, we have pockets of yeah. the five boroughs, which people call food deserts because you don't have right. a good – Grocery store, grocery shop that people can go to. So, this in some instances makes things more accessible to people who conceivably we think are, oh, there's a bunch of Whole Foods. And,
5: And when we started Greensbury, it was about bringing accessibility to every American this quality. And what we learned is it's really expensive to deal with shipping if they live in certain areas. So, accessibility comes with a price until you get enough scale. Um, But I think the other thing which Ben touched on is, for us, it's all been about transparency and spending more time on the conversation. You know, we have this um, rancher that's been in ranching for 185 years, his family. And he actually explains that a natural ranch with chickens and cattle and goats is actually one of the most sustainable things in the environment, the way that cycle works and the water and the manure and the grains and all of that. And so you have these, you know, even vegans that jump up and say every single thing to do with an animal is bad for you. And that's not actually true. And there's a lot, you know, people like Ben need to earn a living. Those guys on the boats, my family, I had lobstermen in my background, you know, It's all about having equality and distribution. I mean, that was the beauty of the old American dream. You come here and you can be a rancher and you can be a farmer and you can be a fisherman. And I think what we got scared about is organizations like Whole Foods squeezing the little guy. And now we're getting to a spot where transparency and awareness, I think, is the next phase. And so come to greensbury.com because we're going to stand by what we do and we're going to make sure everything we sell you is healthy and sustainable.
3: Okay. So a lot to watch. And, you know, maybe we'll do a follow-up show uh, at some point next year to see how things are going. I want to thank all of our guests, Ben Conniff from Luke's Lobster, Craig Gamora from Bloomberg News, and Brad Harrison from Greensbury. Techbytes is every Thursday at 11 a.m on the Heritageradionetwork.org. It is hosted and produced by Jennifer Leutzi, engineered by David Tattashore. We want to thank DJ Uptown Nico for our theme song, Nomada CPU track. Techbytes is broadcast live and then available on demand at heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and your favorite podcasting platform. I'm Jennifer Lietzzi. Thanks for listening.
2: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter,